0: It has been um, a couple of weeks, two weeks to be precise, I um, took a break, I had started to do a podcast and um, just wasn't feeling it, so I changed my mind and shut off the microphone and then I went to Ottawa for um, about four days, which I'll talk about in a second, Um, and I've also lined up. Two guests coming up uh, in the next two weeks, I guess. Um, I'm going to be interviewing one of them tomorrow, and it's still up in the air as to when I'm going to interview the other one, but I'm very excited about both of them. I really, really am. Um, it's going to be... I, I'm In my mind, it's going to be the greatest fucking interview ever done. I mean, there was Frost Nixon. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw that, but that was a pretty powerful interview. Um, i trying to think of some other great interviews I mean, Barbara Walters has done countless, countless of them. you think of the Catherine Hepburn one, she also spoke with Yasser Arafat. Um, Many great interviews over the years, but none, none will be as um, amazing as the one that's come, the two that are coming up. Oh, baby, if only I could give a hint, but I won't. Uh, But it will be top of the tops or whatever. It will be a great fucking thing, man. And hopefully it'll be in stereo. And perhaps those were hints. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so what's been going on? Well, actually, it's funny, I also wrote down a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, oh, look, it's what happens when I put my phone near the machine. Okay, so what happened? Well... I was away in Ottawa, like I said, for a couple of days because my father had some surgery. He had a uh, valve replaced in his heart. An aortic valve, I guess? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um, I always like it when people say, I'm not a doctor. I know, you're fitting me for shoes at a Foot Locker. You're also not a referee, but you're wearing that stupid fucking shirt. Anyway, <laughs> Uh so, yeah, so I'm going to, of course, make it about myself because I'm a narcissistic, selfish son of a bitch. And, um, oh, I'm going to write that down, selfish, because that's something I want to talk about later. Um, and how a girlfriend said something to me when I was 20 years old, and it's stuck with me for fucking 27 years now, and it's not ever getting out of my head. Anyway, um,. So my father had this aortic valve replaced, and everything went great. He should be home in the next few days. It's Wednesday today, the 18th. He should be home by Friday. And it's my mom's birthday tomorrow, so happy birthday, Rick. And my mother's name is Ricky, but her friends call her Rick. And I call her Mom or Mummy. Mommy. I do. I'm a 47-year-old man, and I still call my parents mommy and daddy. I'll talk to my brother, or my brothers, and I'll say, Hey, did you talk to mommy today? Or, did you talk to daddy? Or, I was talking to daddy. And when I had a job at a radio station, uh, sitting in my office, there were four of us in the office, and whenever I would talk to my brother, I was very self-conscious, because there was a woman I worked with who... Who would be like, you still call them mummy and daddy? And I was like, yeah. I don't think there was anything weird about it. But apparently, even in my 30s, it was weird. So it's even weirder now in my 40s. Um, but he had this operation, this aortic valve replacement. And I have talked about this in the past. How I love, love, love flying more than anything. It's just a, a miracle. Based on what happened yesterday on that Southwestern flight. You fucking know. That I was losing my shit when I read that. But, um, so, I am, like I said, I'm a very nervous flyer. And, um, I like to take a little out of van before the trip. So, the flight down, no problems whatsoever. I, uh, I got to the airport. They put you in, in Dulles at the fucking dingiest part of the, uh, of the terminal it's like there's a reason it's called a terminal anyway they put you like way it's a fucking monster trek to get there so I grabbed a cup of coffee or not I grabbed a cup of tea and I grabbed a water and that cost me forty dollars and um which also reminded me I always wondered like when people who work at like you know the convenience store at the airport and they sell gum for like four dollars when they go to an actual store and buy gum and they're like how much is that gum and the guy's like uh buck eighty they're like a buck eighty good god (laughs) don't even it's not even that funny it's not funny at all my delivery sucks um so I got to the airport, and I, I went to the uh, counter attendant, and I, I said, like, look, I'm a really shitty flyer. And I popped in an van and I'm just wondering if I can pre-board. And they're like, yeah, no problem. So I get on the plane, and Cheryl, um, the flight attendant, uh, I tell her the same thing. I always like to tell them, uh, just so they know that I'm a nutcase. And I told her, and she was like, well... We will have none of that on this flight because you're in good hands and we're going to get there. There's not going to be any problems. And at takeoff, the Ativan had kicked in and I woke up in flight, landed. Everything was great. Grabbed a Timmy's on the way out of the airport in Ottawa. That's Tim Hortons. And uh, it was nice to say I'll have a coffee with milk. And they didn't say hot coffee with cream. ...or cold coffee with cream... ...and that's a fucking... ...beef I have about America... ...is it's always... ...they want to know if you want your coffee hot... ...and if you want cream in it... ...and I always want... ...hot coffee with milk... ...not cold coffee with cream... ...um... ...so I tweeted to... uh, ...to uh, United... ...told them super duper job... ...and I'm happy about that... ...way back... ...a couple days later... Terrible weather in Ottawa. I was supposed to fly Ottawa, Toronto, Toronto, Washington on Porter Airlines, and uh, get to the airport, pop the van get to the lounge la- or the seating area. The flight's not taken off. Nothing's leaving um, Ottawa, or nothing's landing in Toronto. So I'm whatever. I took the Atavan. so we went back to my parents' house, and I fell asleep for like an hour and a half. And I was able to get on a later flight that night at 7.30. Get on the plane, tell the crew, uh, don't take another Ativan because both a a nurse and a pharmacist told me not to. So I didn't. Of course it had worn off. we get up in the air. I'm fucking losing my mind. And I spoke to two very nice people from Canada who assured me that I was going to be okay. And as a reward, I gave them a dozen of the two dozen bagels that I was bringing back. Because it was okay, and they were really nice. So there's no way that Grace and uh, Patrick are hearing this. But if they are, they saved my fucking life. They were really great. And the only reason I remember... Well, I remember her name because it's a beautiful name. And I only remember his name. I keep on wanting to say like Preston or Parker. But um, when I can't remember his name... I think of, oh, what's that ad about car insurance in Canada? Oh, yeah. Honey, it's Patrick. He bought life insurance, which I've always thought was funny, that ad, because the person picks up the phone, the mother, and she goes, hello? And then about a second later, (laughs) she turns to her husband and goes, it's Patrick. He bought life insurance, which leads me to believe that, The conversation really goes like this. She picks up the phone and goes, Hello. And then Patrick says, Hi, Mom. to me, Patrick. I bought life insurance. And he's so happy that he bought life insurance. Of course, he calls his mother. And then she goes, It's Patrick. He bought life insurance. And then I think Alex Trebek would come on and say, You're never too old to buy life insurance. So I don't even know where that came from. But if I got a. We got my mother a great birthday present. She's gonna get it tomorrow. She's gonna really like it. I think. Um, I'm not gonna say what it is because if anyone's listening and they know my mom, they'll call her up and go, "Oh, you're both so sweet. They bought you blah 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 blah." Um, and the woman I talked to who helped me arrange a guest for my podcast told me that I she I reminded her of Garrison Keeler. And a Prairie Home Companion, minus all the touchy grabby rapey. I hope. Um, so, but the surgery went off without a hitch. Everything was great, and I got to see uh, my brother was in town, and we went. We all went out for dinner. We had a lovely time, um, and uh, and the surgery, like I said, went off without a hitch, and. <laughs> And I spoke with my aunt, who is trying to desperately uh, save this Marc Chagall painting that the National Gallery of Canada uh, wants to sell in order to buy a piece of artwork that is like... You got this Chagall, it's this, it's um, like the Eiffel Tower, bright colors, very beautiful. And, uh, and then you look at the piece they want to buy, it's this um, depiction of, I don't know, some dude getting crucified. It's not... It's not Jesus on the cross or anything, but it's a very Christian, like very, it's a very dark painting. And I guess the National Gallery used to have a mandate that they would never sell any of their artwork uh, for profit in order to purchase other art. But they they want this piece, so they're going to sell the Chagall. And uh, that's a shame, because I know it, it hadn't been on display, but just knowing it was part of their collection was probably impressive and i'm sure they loaned it out to other galleries um which you know again if you see the chagall somewhere else and it says on loan from the national gallery of canada you think "Ooh, ooh, the national gallery of canada's got quite the impressive hey the national gallery has got quite the impressive collection um and i don't even know why i wrote down jewish buffet lines (laughs) something i wrote Jewish buffet lines. I think it was because I was probably in a buffet line at a Jewish event. No, I was in a buffet line at a non-Jewish event. And I have to tell you, the efficiency at which the goyim go through a buffet is to be both applauded and emulated. No chit-chat in the line. No catching up. And very little budding from elderly people who just want that last scoop of egg salad that you've had your eye on since you picked up your knife and fork and plate 15 minutes ago while watching Uncle Sid, you know, and uh, Aunt, uh, Aunt Goldie nuzzle their fucking way into line ahead of everybody else because they're old know what we've all been waiting okay we've all been waiting we're all standing here awkwardly holding a plate and a plastic knife and a plastic fork and a costco napkin and we just want a knish and we want that scoop of egg and just because you see your 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 nephew's friend standing in line and and he's up at the front that doesn't mean you can fucking whittle your bony ass in there with your walker and your cane, and just, I'm just talking for a minute. You're not fucking talking. We know what you're doing. You're budding. But then you go to these goyish buffets, uh, non-Jew, Gentile buffets. I don't know what the deal is, but somebody gave other people a memo that said, when in line at a buffet, move efficiently and courteously and get the fuck out of there so everybody could eat. It's really an amazing thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought about Jewish buffets for some reason. And then I also thought about, um, this is weird to talk about, uh, but no one died. Although, you know what? Harry Anderson died. And I, you know, I liked Nightcart when I was a kid. Um, but I really liked him. I remember first seeing him on Saturday Night Live. He would do, um like comedy and magic together. And he was sort of like a, his whole act I think was that he was a con man, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, then he did some guest spots on cheers. And one of my favorite was when he, it had to do with, they were in the back room in the, in the pool room and, uh, they were all drinking and he helped cover the pool table. And then I think Sam was back there and he walked out and coaches at the bar and, and he was like, uh, I, I paid the bill. and and the coach didn't believe him, or maybe it was Sam at the bar, and he's like, no, ask back, and they cover the pool table. That's the joke. Is it covered? Yeah, it's covered. They were talking about the pool table. Anyway, I I butchered that beyond belief. Um, So that's too bad about Harry Anderson. And for some reason, I was just talking about him to somebody a few weeks ago, because I think I had heard he owned a magic shop in New Orleans. Turned out he died in... uh, North Carolina long pause long pause that's the In Memoriam section I will remember you will you remember me then an image of Harry Anderson smacking that gavel on uh, Night Court don't let your love Pass me by Oh boy Okay, so So the other thing is Somebody had once told me Now for those of you unfamiliar With the concept of Shiva It is the mourning period M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G Mourning period uh, In Judaism after somebody dies You sit Shiva for them You remember them You sit at home on low chairs and uh, you rip a piece of, piece of clothing. I'm giving a very rudimentary uh, explanation of Shiva. And uh, you have prayers where, you, where you're sitting, Shiva. Usually it's at a house. Um, and people will come, pay their respects throughout the day. And another thing uh, common with shivas is that you prepare you you'll pay for a meal you will a meal will be catered and um oh look at that my friend wants to know if i'm free tonight well oh johnny is maybe gonna go out tonight anyway uh what was i gonna say so the the deal with shiva is that um you will call a caterer up and you pay for a shiva meal. And it will cover usually breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Usually groups of friends will get together and say, hey, you got lunch? Okay, let's pay for lunch on Tuesday, whatever. So um, I, I knew somebody who their sibling married a non-Jew. And because they were so upset with the sibling marrying the non Jew, the sibling was dead to them. They said, They're dead to me. And they sat Shiva for that sibling. And I wondered to myself, and I don't know if it's funny or not, it was just something I thought about, but like, um,. So when someone dies you would probably tell your work mates or your your work you'd be like look I, bad news you know so and so died and I'm sitting Shiva for them I have to you know miss at least 5 days of of work like you know at least a week a, a, you know I, I can't come back and I imagine the workplace would be understanding and then your friends would call the caterer and say you know, so-and-so, did you hear that their their uncle or whomever died and and uh, I'd like to, you know, send a meal. Oh, yeah, we heard about that. A real tragedy, a real pillar of the community. Yeah, no problem. We'll put something nice together. That's my Jewish caterer. Uh, one of the many characters you'll get to know over the next many months of this podcast. So, <laughs> So, if somebody is dead to you, but not actually dead... Are you still afforded all the I'm using air quotes here, perks that come along with Shiva? <laughs> like Like, can you call your boss and be like, "Yeah, look,, um, I, I'm not coming to work for the next five days because I'm sitting Shiva for my, my sister." Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea. Was she sick? Oh no, she's not actually dead. She married a non-Jew, and um, she's dead to me. So I won't be coming to work for five days. Um, okay, I, I think I'm gonna have to take that uh, as vacation. I think because I don't think you could sit shiva like and miss work for somebody who's like dead to you, but not actually dead. No, no, I'm, I'm taking off work. And then if you're off work and you're at home and you're sitting Shiva for someone who's not dead, will people come over and pay their respects? Will friends get together and call the caterer up and be like, I want to send a meal over to so-and-so's house because they're sitting Shiva for their sister who's not really, de-? oh, their sister, I didn't know. That's my concerned caterer voice. Um... I hadn't heard. Well, she's not really dead. Uh, She's dead to him. Oh, so we got like a Laurence Olivier jazz singer, Neil Diamond's dead to him kind of thing. Just doesn't make sense to me. So I don't really know. I'm just going to trail off. That's the end of that story. (laughs) I found that when I did have a job, I'd say something in a meeting and I'd, I wouldn't know how to end it. I would be like, and I think it's a great idea if we put, more focus on, you know, uh, engaging the membership and not excluding so many people from the East coast or not, or not. I mean, it was just a thought. It was just a thought. So that's, I wrote that down. Shiva for someone not dead. I can check that off my list. I can check off Jewish buffet lines, traveling thing, anxiety stuff. I think I've talked about my anxiety before. Um, I think I have. Twenty some years ago, I first had this great panic attack. Um, thought I was losing my mind. I had smoked some marijuana. Can you hear me? Marijuana. <laughs> marijuana. It wasn't the first time, and uh, but it was pretty much the last. And um, I basically, it felt like my brain had just flipped right over. And from that moment on, I started getting these panic attacks. I couldn't be in theaters. I couldn't be in crowded spaces. I basically became a hermit for a few years. Really, going out was not my thing. I hated it. And then once I was traveling on a bus um, somewhere, and it occurred to me that, oh, my God, I'm going to have a one of these episodes. I didn't even know what they were. Um and I had it, and it passed, of course, because as the psychiatrist said, I was in cognitive therapy for about 12 weeks, and uh, spoke to a psychiatrist, and it was a group thing, uh, a psychiatrist and a psychologist. The psychologist oversaw the cognitive therapy um, aspect. Her name was Dr. Kaziki, Dr. Diane Kaziki, and uh, if it really wasn't for her, I probably would have never got married. I probably would have never quit one job to get another job. None of that would have happened. I'd probably be a shut-in living in some one-bedroom apartment somewhere, struggling. But, um, but through, through the work, uh, through whatever. It was at the Royal Ottawa Hospital in, in Ottawa. Um, and they had a, uh, a um, restaurant there. It was like a little coffee shop. That was staffed by uh, people who who were residents there. It was a it was a mental hospital, and I always thought they should have had a sign that said, uh, "You don't have to be crazy to work here," but actually, you do. <laughs> I know, not funny, not funny, but I, whatever. The hospital is fantastic. Um. So yeah, I, I what ended up getting me to the hospital was that. My uh, girlfriend, my girlfriend, who's my wife, but uh, we were on vacation in the, mount, the green mountain state, Vermont, Vermont. We were not staying in the capital Montpellier, but we were in Burlington. No, actually, I think we were in Stowe. And woke up in the middle of the night. We'd just gone out for dinner. And I was trying to avoid like any foods that I thought had alcohol in them or just anything that i thought would like raise my uh serotonin levels perhaps and uh i took whatever it doesn't matter get back to the hotel wake up in the middle of the night fucking losing my mind full panic attack we find this hospital go to the hospital the uh nurse at the check-in was this amazing man very compassionate and the doctor, on the other hand, was a complete opposite of the nurse and basically said, you, you're not having a heart attack. You need psychiatric help. And uh, it was that brutal honesty that really helped. And I went home and it turned out there was an ad in the newspaper um, saying like, you know, do you, I forget what the wording was, but it kind of spoke to my father who said, hey, maybe you should give this number a call. And I called the number and I spoke to somebody at the Royal Ottawa Hospital. They started asking me all these questions. And, uh, it was like, you know, do you feel this? Do you feel that? Do you feel this? Yes, 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 yes. And I was so relieved to know that I was not the only person who felt these things. So they said, oh, we think you may be a perfect candidate for our uh, cognitive therapy, um, group. Please come in for, you know, an assessment. So I went in for an assessment. This is where I met the lovely, um, and helpful, uh, Dr. Kaziki. And she was going over all these questions. And one of the things she asked me was, uh, do you ever hear voices on the radio speaking to you directly? And at the time I was writing commercials for a radio station. So I said, well, as a matter of fact, I sometimes do. And she got so excited (laughs) because I don't think anybody had answered that question that way for her. Uh, so she was like, oh, you do tell me about it. So I was like, well, actually, you know, I write commercials for a radio station. So, you know, if I ever hear something, I could put a little little joke in there directed solely at me or people I know. And she was a bit disappointed, I think, in my response. I think she really wanted it to be like the guys on the radio are talking directly to me. Burn the house down! Burn the house down! Dig a grave! Dig a grave! Dig a grave! And now here's Scritty Politi in perfect way! Perfect world! Perfect world. Yeah, perfect. Ah, 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 back perfect way, perfect way, I think. Anyway, um, so I did the cognitive thing, cut back on caffeine, cut back on fast food, started exercising. Oh my, I was a different man. Got the dog that I talked about, good old Oakley. Oakley! Um, there's a line in a song by the, uh, a band called The Wild Colonials. song is called Dear Mike. And I'm pretty sure it's off of the Fruit of Life album. And I could be wrong about that, though. And uh, the song is actually about Mike Scott of the Waterboys. And there's a line that says, he has the eyes of an old man and the soul of a sage. And <clears throat> when I looked at my dog, I thought those exact same things. She had these wonderful eyes that just were, were um, timeless, you know, and ageless but yet they were wise and she was so smart. She could do my taxes. That's how smart that dog was. But um, we did the, I, we, I did the cognitive therapy and then I started on Zoloft. Zoloft, making people happy since 1997. And uh, I started at low, low dosage, low dosage, low dosage. It got bigger and bigger, more and more. And, um... And then after a few years of being on the Zoloft, I still was not 100% sure about this panic thing because I hadn't had a panic attack in a while. And that worried me. It worried me that I hadn't had one. So I went to see the psychologist, Dr. Kaziki again. And uh, Jen and I were getting ready to travel to Israel for uh, our friend's wedding. And I told her, I said, I'm nervous because I haven't had a panic attack And that is making me nervous because I think when I get on the plane, I'm going to have a panic attack. And uh, she was great; she helped me through it. And it was almost like that scene in Analyze This, where De Niro leans into Billy Crystal and he's like, "You are good, you, you, you are good." Fucking, I am so De Niro. My impressions are spot on. This is my Jamaican man, and this this is my Irishman who sounds a lot like my Jamaican (laughs) I'm cracking myself up. But, um... So now they've been basically confined to airplanes. And I had one on the way home from Ottawa. And then I was like, you know what? I have my iPad with me. I've downloaded some episodes of Black Mirror. Oh, what a great idea that was. And and I'm going to watch one. So I start watching... uh, This episode called the USS Callista. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it was pretty good. But they're in space. They're in a spaceship. And I thought, like, I cannot be the only one who has... I have panic attacks when I'm watching a television show that takes place... Or a movie that takes place in a spaceship. I look at it and I'm like, these people are confined to that space. Where are they going to go? I need to be outside. I need... Air. I need, uh, terra firma beneath my feet, you know, not just, um, not just the vastness of a spaceship. I don't think, well, I was watching the movie Alien Covenant and again, they're on these spacecrafts and they're, I'm like, I'd be losing my fucking mind if I was on a spaceship. Oh, so I have like anticipatory anxiety while watching movies about spacecrafts. I don't get it. I just, I need land beneath my feet. I need land beneath my feet. I sound like like a fucking Pete Seeger folk song about land beneath his feet. I don't really know why I'm even talking about this. You know, I thought when I went on a cruise that I was going to have a panic attack on the boat. No, you know what? Fine on the boat. In fact, as I said to my wife, I could be on the boat all the time. I love the boat. Love it. And I love The Love Boat, and I would love it if there was a porno parody of The Love Boat where uh, the the character, the main character, the captain, was renamed Captain Stupping, <laughs> and he was played by Gavin McLeod. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Get it? I don't know if you get it or not. Gavin McLeod, you know, whatever. I, that was the only one I, I thought of. Um, I don't know what... And I never understood on the Love Boat how um, how the doctor, Adam Bricker, he was getting all this pussy. Like, everybody was like, oh, the doctor is so handsome. And he was he knew it. He was a player. And, like, if you look back, he really wasn't that handsome. And he wore just terrible glasses. He he wore the kind of glasses that if he wore those glasses now, you'd think he was some sort of child abductor. Um, they, whenever they have pictures of like people who've been caught, you know, abducting children, they always have these same glasses on. They're just like they look like they grabbed them out of a lost and found. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's wrong with me today. I should really check these texts. I don't know who's. Oh my god, Nancy! Um, oh boy. Oh, boss is tired and not feeling well. Well, bud, maybe I'll see you later. <laughs> um, trying to think what else. I saw. Have I seen any movies? Already, Player One. It was pretty good. And my son and I are going to see Avengers Infinity War in a few weeks. And I ordered t shirts for my bowling team. I'm not bowling anymore, the season's over, but I got these great t-shirts, I got a woman on Fiverr, she drew me a logo of a squirrel standing up on its hind legs, wearing big dark sunglasses with a with a blind person cane, finding an acorn, because our team name is the Blind Squirrels, and, uh, and um, they love them, oh, my team loves me, they love me! Uh, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was I had written down the word selfish. And I said that a girlfriend of mine back when we were, I was in my twenties, I think it was maybe, yeah, she, so what happened was I had this girlfriend and I remember saying to her, and again, this is 27 years ago, uh, I remember saying to her that I would never give up the first bite or the last bite of a chocolate bar because to me, Those were very important, and they should be savored by the owner of the chocolate bar. And I guess I probably would feel the same way about the fourth finger of a Kit Kat bar. And I might even give away the first finger. And fingers two and three are completely fair game. But four, not so much. I also knew a guy once who could take a whole morning to eat a fucking Kit Kat bar. And it drove me nuts, because I am downing that thing, I don't know, 35, 40 seconds tops. But she told me, when I told her that about the chocolate bar, the first bite, the last bite, she said to me, that's kind of selfish of you. That shows that you're a selfish person, that you would not want to give up those two things because they're more important to you than they are to somebody else. They're more important for your pleasure than they are for somebody else's pleasure. By the way, it did not uh, extend to the boudoir, okay? Just the selfishness for all you ladies out there who might enjoy the smooth-sounding tones of my rich, rich voice. Oh, there's no filter on that, ladies. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is all Johnny Bakes. Anyway, um, so she told me that, and I took it to heart. Not right away, but in my next relationship, and, you know, the few after that, before I met my lovely wife. Um, And I stopped... I started, rather, thinking, like... About everything I do. And now it's sort of mostly confined to things around the house. Um, but like, so, so Jen doesn't drink coffee. But when she did drink coffee, I'd make a big pot of coffee in the morning for us. And I would say to her, Hey, you want coffee? And she'd say, Yeah, pour me a cup of coffee. Now she doesn't take anything in her coffee. Her coffee's black. So I would, as I'm pouring her coffee first, I'm thinking, This is nice of me. I'm pouring her coffee first. What an unselfish person I am. Then that's like, I guess maybe the angel side of my conscience, but then the devil side or the opposition side would be like, huh, asshole, you're pouring her coffee first, so it'll get colder quicker, and you're going to save yourself the hotter cup of coffee, so you're pouring your second but then the conscience would be like, aha, uh-huh, but he's pouring his coffee second and then he's putting milk in it which is going to cool it down so her temperature will still be moderately hotter than his cooler coffee. And then the other side of me would be thinking, well, that's not a nice thing to do. Give her a scalding hot cup of coffee. Well, you give yourself a nice and cool cup of coffee. But that wasn't at all my thought process. And then I'll set the table at home and I'll be like, I'm always going to set my seat last because I want to make sure everybody else's uh, table setting is in place before mine. Mine can be the last one done. And I think of that as being, you know, not selfish because I'm looking out for the three people in my family first before me. But then part of me is like, you're being selfish because you don't care if you screw up their table settings yours is going to be the last one. So you'll make it the best one. Or when I'm folding laundry, I always have to feel as if I should fold my laundry last because I don't want anybody else to think that my laundry is getting preferential treatment over, or my clean clothes are getting preferential treatment over their clean clothes. Uh, they're, Then I'll fold theirs, but then I think, well, if somebody sees me, like, I don't know who the fuck's watching me fold laundry, the same people who are maybe listening to this podcast because it's going on and on about nothing, but somebody would think, oh, he's folding his laundry last because he wants to make it, you know, nicer than everybody else's. Oh, he's putting his clothes away second because he wants to put his wife's clothes away first so that he can just put them away all willy-nilly, but it's not the case. And this all stemmed from one person who's not in my life anymore except very cursory on Facebook and the occasional text I don't even know if she'd remember saying this if she's listening to this I don't even know if she remembers saying it but I know exactly where we were when she said it to me sitting in front of my house on the curb she had just told me that she had a dog at one point in her life Um, and I think it's a little nuts that I think these things. But it really only it only really goes with like dealing with food and laundry and uh making beds, fluffing pillows. Oh, same thing. If I fluff her pillow first, and that's not a sex thing, I actually mean pillows. If I fluff her pillow first, or maybe it could be a sex thing. But she doesn't let me fluff a pillow anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, my wife dislikes me sometimes when I say weird shit like that. Anyway, um, you know what? I've been talking here for 38 minutes and almost 30 seconds. And I'm going to end it because it was a lot of fun talking. I hadn't talked like this in a long time. Uh, bowling's over for another year and I'm looking forward to getting back at it in the fall or in the late summer, I guess. And like I said, I got two great guests coming up that I'm really excited about. I might just air them back to back. Um, I'm going to end it there. I uh, thank you for listening. Too Lazy to Write is the name of the podcast. It is available on iTunes when I get that fucking thing working. Google Play, as well as um, my website, the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word write, W R I T E, dot com. And I want to thank David Berman for putting my Camp Gesher podcast on the camp gesher wikipedia page um i really appreciate that um so there you have it and i will talk to you soon take care of yourself and you can reach me at the real john baker on twitter or on my uh website toolazytorite.com. there is a section there thanks a lot take care talk soon bye too lazy to write can happen and is welcome John